The Oklahoma Sooners had quite the transfer portal haul and the 2023 recruiting class, but what could they do in the 2024 cycle to even top it? We'll talk with John Garcia of Sports Illustrated on that today on Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners, and thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We're free and available on all podcast platforms and on YouTube, so go to there. Subscribe to the show. Hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. Josh, we're going to talk portal. We're going to talk recruiting, and we're going to bring him in, John Garcia of Sports Illustrated. You can read his content over there. You can also follow him on Twitter at John Garcia underscore junior. John, how you doing, my friend? Uh, doing well, doing well. It's a great time of year. You know, that first portal window is, is finally closing, but obviously still dust to be settled. So it's exciting to see t- talent acquisition basically become a 12-month deal in, in the recruiting industry. It's it's kind of never boring anymore, which is nice. Yeah, it makes for a fantastic offseason. And when I used to cover the NFL, covering the Dallas Cowboys, the offseason was kind of my favorite part because of free agency, the draft, salary cap stuff. And now with NIL, you get a little bit of that involved as well. So let's start with the transfer portal because the Oklahoma Sooners have done a really great job addressing a lot of needs. But the person I want to talk to you specifically about is someone you're very familiar with, and that's Deshaun McCullough. The Indiana transfer played edge for them coming to the Oklahoma Sooners. Now there's some thoughts about using his versatility and his size athleticism to play a variety of positions. How do you feel about that addition for the Oklahoma Sooners? Yeah, that's the thing, right, John? It, it's like, where does he play? There, there's so many ways you, you in principle can try to use a player like that. What, what is he listed at? 6'5", 225 at this point. Um, that, that can fit so many roles in, in the modern era of college football. Traditionally, you would probably have him near the line of scrimmage, and, and that would be it. But uh, with that athleticism, that frame, um, and honestly, the experience he has uh, tracking the football, playing in space, there's so many more uh, benefits to maybe dropping him in coverage, allowing him to help uh, from an underneath standpoint. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see where, where Brent Venables and company position him. He's sort of a Swiss army knife that you can move around. Obviously, there is a history with big, lengthy freak athletes uh, under Brent Venables. So I'm very curious to see if it's Isaiah Simmons 2.0 or if it's something more uh, relative to the line of scrimmage. But either way, this is a huge addition because from an outsider's perspective and, and from zoomed out on OU, it's it's been about getting, getting that edge, getting that attitude defensively. Uh, we know – skill position talent, offensive talent, especially with Jeff Lebby and that scheme will continue to roll in. So for me, the trenches and how you attack downhill defensively is going to be how you start to balance that out. And McCullough can individually almost satisfy some of those needs. So it's a massive get for Oklahoma. And I I think when you win high school recruits, it says one thing, um, but when you win in the portal, it's totally different. There's a different level of buy-in. There's a different benefit of the doubt that it creates. So when you have one of these great portal classes and and look, OU's hit the trenches hard in the portal on both sides. I think it says a lot about how people collectively believe in in the trajectory of the program. And I think McCullough becomes sort of the face of that, at least to this point, uh, as we look at the portal, but that'll be a massive center point type of addition. 
I'm with you. I mean, I I do think it's a statement for Oklahoma coming off a not so great statement of six and seven. Oklahoma needed this uh, both out of the transfer portal and then this this signing class. So let's uh, let's dive into that, John. Just big picture, John Garcia. We've got John squared here with us. Let's dive into the the 2023 signing class portion of it. Big picture. We can talk individual players, but. Oklahoma, again, needed this type of momentum. They got this type of momentum, depending on sort of where you look, based on, you know, whether you're looking at 24-7 sports rivals, on three, whatever, you name it. There's pretty well a consensus that this is a top 10 class for Oklahoma. So what are just some of your general thoughts on the 2023 haul that Oklahoma was able to, to ink up? I thought this class checked a lot of boxes, right? I think when you're a storied program like this, you've got to hit – not necessarily, I don't want to call them layups, but you got to hit the ones that make the most sense, right? In, in that in that Texas corridor that you've always pulled elite talent from, you've got to check those boxes. And obviously, when you start off with a Jackson Arnold, it really tips the scales in your favor. And his profile only rose after he, he verbally committed to Oklahoma. So it's one of those things that got bigger and bigger um, that only helps you on the recruiting trail. So I thought they started well, um, you know, getting the the local and semi-local prospects uh, on board. And then, of course, the close. I mean, I think that's where you get so impressed with what Oklahoma was able to do. Sure, it's nice to go into the South and hit some Floridians, uh, hit hit the, the traditional SEC footprint, which is obviously going to be a bigger deal as time goes forward for Oklahoma. But finishing the way it did, I mean, going out and, and obviously – I guess flipping a flip of, of Peyton Bowen in particular uh, was so fascinating to watch. So to come out on the, the positive side of that, really the only positive side of that was huge. Um, and I remember talking to him at the Under Armour game and he was like, man, you know, I was always a Brent Venables fan. So when he took this job, it just it kind of felt like it was calling to him a little bit. And then, of course, navigating it was was not easy. Uh, understandably so, uh, but a close like that on another prospect who kind of like Arnold, the opinions only rose uh, surrounding him on the field. And I, I think that was, was as galvanizing a moment as, as there was. And it's more impressive to grab those type of players at the end of the cycle, as opposed to in the off season when, you know, you're doing junior days and official visits and things are great. It's, it's harder to do it when you go six and seven, as you mentioned, and still, you know, you're able to compete nationally for great prospects. So I, I like the balance. I like the boldness geographically to, to go a little bit more outside of that traditional you know, Midlands footprint, which is something I think we'll continue to see there with Oklahoma going forward. And uh, look, there's some gems from my home state of Florida that I'd love to talk about as well. Yeah, so let's let's stick right there. Keon Brown, I think, was a really intriguing addition to this you know, signing class, what do you see out of him that is going to make him an impact player in Norman? Well, he's got that combination of great size and polish. And I think usually you get one without the other when you talk about, you know, big projectable wide receivers. But at 6263, he can really run those intermediate routes as if he was 5'11 or six foot. And that presents such a challenge for uh, defenses nowadays. A lot of people are playing a lot more zone coverage. It's not as much one-to-one. So the role of the big-bodied receiver, could you could argue that it's a little bit diminished relative to 5, 10 years ago. But when you're polished on top of it, you maximize that catch radius. And obviously, you're able to work underneath and break away 
from some of this underneath zone coverage that you're going to face week in, week out. So Keon provides both of those things. He's got great polish, very much understands how to break at the top of the route, and he's got an um, impressive catch radius. I mean, he looks like T. Higgins out there from a height and weight standpoint. Doesn't run like T, at least at this point, but he's got a lot of room to fill out. Uh, and again, that polish really pops. Uh, and, and that was a huge get for Oklahoma. Going into Tallahassee, a kid that, for six months, everybody just assumed was going to Florida State, who had a great year on the field. Nobody would have blamed Keon for that. Picked OU early. They prioritized him early, and, and he stuck with it through sort of those ups and downs. And I think that's another big indicator of, again, the future belief that folks have in OU. Well, and it, it feels like – I know you kind of kind of opened talking about the Texas corridor is obviously going to be important for Oklahoma. Historically, it always has been. But it does feel like with Brent Vittables and this staff – they're making the Southeast not just because of the SEC move, but because of Brent Venable's history at Clemson. The Sunshine State and the surrounding area is going to be important for Oklahoma. And you just look up and down the signees in this class. I mean, they got a bunch of talent from the, the state of Florida. Just a couple of the other names, Macari Vickers and Derek LeBlanc, two very highly rated blue chip type talents. What is Oklahoma getting in those two? Macari Vickers' uh, versatility. I think he could be your traditional – center fielder, classic free safety type, but he's also got kind of the length and competitive edge to come up and, and maybe play some nickel, maybe counter what McCullough's going to do downhill and work backwards uh, is what Vickers maybe projects like. Uh, and I think he's got some corner upside too. I think worst case scenario, he can play boundary corner uh, in some zone schemes and eventually develop into a, a legitimate big, long cornerback prospect. So that's another one where, it's going to be interesting to see when, you know, when day one on, on I guess, spring or, or fall camp begins, what position group he's working with and if and when that will change relative to the rest of that roster, because his skill set is, is sort of untapped at this point. And then with Derek LeBlanc, look, you need trench power. I mean, that's something that is obvious no matter what conference you're in, certainly if you're going to the SEC and LeBlanc brings you that juice at the point of contact. And he also brings that versatility in that he can rush inside and out. You know, the the new age pass rusher, it, it's two, it's one of two things. It's the smaller, quicker edge guy that can bend like nobody's business or these guys who profile as tweeners that can rush from the interior to put immediate pressure on the quarterback. And LeBlanc has, I mean, he's been known for that in the state of Florida for quite some time. I think he's got some work to do from a physicality standpoint and, and just reshaping his body a little bit. But all of that will come, obviously, once you get to, to Norman for good. So one more Florida guy we got to talk about. This is someone that Brent Venables was very high on in his signing early signing day uh, news conference, and that was Lewis Carter. And I think he's a very intriguing prospect because I think he could start for a lot of Power 5 programs at running back, and yet he's going to be a really nice addition to the linebacker room. Yeah, I'm glad he got his own question on today's show. This is my favorite Floridian that that Oklahoma is bringing in. Uh, Lewis Carter can do anything. Anything you need on the football field, he can do. Uh, I remember the first time I saw him at Tampa Catholic, uh, he was a freshman on kickoff team, and he beat other future Power 5 guys down the field and just blasted the returner at like the 15-yard line. And I'm like, I turned to, who is that? Oh, Lewis Carter, you'll be writing about him. And, and sure enough, he played, uh, after that point, he played quarterback, running back, receiver, safety, corner, and linebacker. I mean, just an unbelievable player you know, playing against a good Tampa area competition and really flashing at 
three, four, five different spots in his own right. So I'm curious for him, who's never been able to focus on one position, if it's going to be new age, modern three down linebacker or weak side backer, how he evolves when he's able to focus and dig his heels in on the technical elements of the linebacker position. Because when it comes to instincts, physicality, twitch, all of those things, those boxes are are checked in Sharpie. So he's kind of the perfect modern get at the linebacker spot, in my opinion. Undersized, and that'll be talked about, maybe over-talked about, but his space ability, his awareness and instincts are really off the charts. So once that technical polish comes along relative to that projected position, I think sky's the limit for him. We've got a couple other Florida signees we could talk about, too, and just the rest of this class as well. Got to keep it rolling here with John Garcia. But uh, before that, betonline.net. It is your number one source with the NFL playoffs raging on right here. Man, we are in a fun weekend, one of my favorite sports weekends of the entire calendar, the NFL divisional playoffs weekend. And uh, betonline.net is your number one source for all of the, the latest lines, the happenings, the news, the notes. So head on over. To the website today, use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Of course, more than just the NFL playoffs, NBA's in swing. We've got uh, NHL in full swing. So there's plenty to get in on over there at betonline.net. Again, head to the website. BetOnline is where the game starts. So, John, uh, a couple of final Florida signees. Like I said, Oklahoma's been busy, (laughs) been busy down there in the southeast. Phil Pachotti. A linebacker. What do you what do you know about Phil that you can share with us? And then this was a late ad for Oklahoma, out of uh, Union County. Marcus Strong. That that was a name that we really didn't hear a ton of throughout the cycle for OU. But they get Pachotti, they get Strong. What should Sooner fans know about each? Yeah, with Pachotti was one who kind of came out of nowhere. So we're honestly not as familiar there. But let me tell you, Marcus Strong came across our desk uh, and really impressed late in his senior season. I, I think there's always Something to be said for those guys who kind of play their way up into a higher level of of recruiting. Uh, and obviously, if you're doing it at the power five level at a school like Oklahoma, you you really played your way in there. And I think he's kind of like LeBlanc, although he's more physically put together than Derek. Derek's got the frame to eventually get there. Marcus is kind of there right now at 6'3", 275 or so. So I think he brings a little bit more of, of a floor to the conversation as opposed to Derek's ceiling with better length uh, and better long-term ability. So I just think Strong's going to be one of those guys who comes in immediately and helps you from a rotational standpoint. Don't know how much more his frame can support, but again, with with what he does so well right now at the point of attack from a leverage standpoint, I think he's a guy who can make a, a bit of a bigger impact than maybe you know his star rating or, or any of that would suggest. So then – Kind of one question that's kind of an in-between recruiting cycles question. Oklahoma made a, a change with their wide receiver coach. They moved on from LD Washington, who was the interim wide receivers coach, and added Emmett Jones. Just give us your thoughts on Emmett Jones as as a wide receivers coach, as a recruiter. What can Oklahoma fans expect? Yeah, he's he's just a guy who's who's kind of been there and done that. You know, everywhere he's been, um, you know, this was this was viewed as not only an upgrade for Oklahoma, but this was viewed as a crucial blow for Texas tech. And I think that's where you start to feel the impacts. Um, Obviously, you know, we talked about Florida and the Southeast, but look, when you're, when you're recruiting at Oklahoma, it it starts with the Lone Star state. uh, And that's where Emmett's reputation is really second to none as an individual positional recruiter. And of course 
He's been known to evaluate better than the, the folks on our side of the industry. And there's some development history there as well. So when you've got that combination of, you know, geographical significance, developing and identification and evaluation, it's really tough uh, to overcome on the recruiting trail. So now with the, with the big brand on his polo going around, uh, I think the ceiling now goes higher uh, for a position that, look, we've always viewed that as a high ceiling position. Look, wide receiver at Oklahoma, you're, you're going to get the ball. You're going to be productive. You're going to have a chance to make an impact, you know, every single year. So I, I do think that the ceiling for wide receiver recruiting and production at Oklahoma uh, went up uh, with that move, uh, especially, of course, in that that classic Oklahoma recruiting corridor in the, in the state of Texas and surrounding. Well, that feels like just a natural segue from the new receivers coach to Oklahoma. Look, uh, Marvin Mims is on his way out. They need one of these signees. I know we talked about Keon Brown, but what about the other wide receiver signee coming in? They need somebody to step in and catch some football straight away. That's gonna that opportunity is gonna be there. So, what what do fans need to know about Jaquay's Petaway? What are uh, Sooner fans getting out of the Langham Creek product? Uh, to speed, juice, explosiveness. Um, I, I think a lot of a lot of how Oklahoma utilized Jalil Farouk uh, in the last year or so. I think you could see eventually some of those same uh, play calls in his favor. Um, there's a lot more speed there, though, and raw torque. Uh, I think he's one that's got to be reined in from, from a technical standpoint. But again, when you see freshman contributions across the country, wide receiver is one of those spots where you see a lot of those guys getting run because you can go in there and be very specific. Hey, just <laughs> go do this. Go take this bubble screen. Here's the jet sweep. Go occupy this this zone, whatever it may be. I think that's that's where you're going to get a little bit of an impact there. Um, he's one of those just get the ball in his hands kind of players, and is is really compared to Brown in particular. He's he's kind of a compliment, right? Kind of the opposite in in every way, uh, shape, and form. So again, it could be in the return game, certainly in the gadget game. I think Petway's a guy who's who's going to see the field early and and get the ball in his hands uh, pretty much soon thereafter. We're going to transition to the 2024 cycle as the world is transitioning to the 2024 cycle now with the transfer portal class closed, signing day approaching on February 1st. But first, let me talk to you all about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. If you haven't tried it, you're missing out. It's a great breakfast. It's a great meal replacement. If you need it for a pre-workout, you're not going to do any better than Built Bar. 170 calories. 13, sorry, 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, four or five grams of sugar, great flavors, peanut butter, brownie, mint brownie, two of my favorites. You can get great flavors, great options in the puffs, in the granola bars, great opportunity to get a great tasting protein bar over at Built Bar. Again, the best tasting protein bar, use our promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off your next order over at Built.com. So John, Oklahoma made a, a big move getting into the top five, top seven of the 2023 recruiting cycle. And I feel like most people expect, okay, we're going to, that's where we're going to live now moving forward. And they've got a, a lot of high profile targets. Let's start with the first one. That's David Stone. Uh, the local product out of Dell city went to IMG for a year. He's back, but he's also being heavily recruited by Michigan state. There's going to be a lot of people in the David Stone sweepstakes as well. Um, what What's your take on David Stone, kind of where his recruitment sits right now on a national scale? Yeah, you said it. I mean, national scale is the, the perfect way to look at this thing because he is arguably the top interior D lineman in the country. And if you watched any IMG games this past year, you saw Stone making huge plays, whether it was turnover sacks, TFLs, 
and he was all over the field. And at many points, he was the best D lineman at IMG. And, and if you're the best anything there, that's a very big deal. So he's he's not only he not only went there with that reputation, I think he improved on that reputation. And it's still to the point where he's adding scholarship offers. I know Ohio State just jumped in about a week ago. That's going to be a big one for him. Huge IMG connections there. Um, I think, obviously, Oklahoma's always going to be there, number one on the list. I don't think he'll ever come out publicly and say anything other than that. But, yeah, there's going to be a huge group of challengers as as this thing progresses. Uh, I think Miami's going to shoot their shot. We, we know the traditional SEC powers are going to be in there as well. You mentioned Michigan State, which has recently, in the last couple cycles, really done damage in that traditional Oklahoma recruiting footprint uh, they're going to be in there as well but uh, by all indication David's going to take his time um, and it's it's about judging everyone relative to Oklahoma for him he knows that he kind of laughs when you bring it up he's like yeah look I know Oklahoma's always going to be a, a part of these interviews and these conversations and that's fine that's that's where you know that's home you know he considers that home and I think that is that's something invaluable uh, on the recruiting trail. It's it's lucky, I guess, uh, as well to have great talent developed and fostered right there, whether it's geographically or with legacy prospects, which I know we'll talk about in a second. But that's a huge deal and hard to overcome. And I think with Oklahoma, there's always going to be a sell there, uh, whether it's help us get back to where we were or or help us if 2023 grows great help us, you know, maintain this, this jump that we made from 2022. So there's always going to be a sell and, and a local pull and emotional feel for David Stone at Oklahoma. And look, I mean, Todd Bates is on the case. I mean, he's one of, one of the best uh, relationship recruiters. I think when we talk about positional recruiters or individual coaches, they're, they're kind of known for different things with Todd. It's like foundational. It's like he would recruit this well in this day and age in the nineties or in the, in the sixties, it feels like that's the type of guy he is. So when, when you're a D line target at OU uh, you, you're going to have a great relationship with him. And obviously stone has one right now. And, and look, Oklahoma is going to be tough to beat no matter who that number two team might be. And, and I think the best news for OU is that that number two team will seemingly fluctuate between now and whenever stone is ready to put this thing to bed for good. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. If it was always the same number two team, uh, I think you could you develop some traction there with that second squad, uh, much like Oklahoma's benefited from at the end of the 23 cycle. But it doesn't appear as that number two is, is steady at this point. It could be Michigan State. It could become Ohio State or Miami with, with some of those new offers in or Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M before all is said and done. But I think the fact that it's moving is a great point for OU. One more on David Stone here, John. This is maybe a little bit off the beaten path. So if it's too far off the beaten path, you just take the shot and swat it into the third row, okay? But <laughs> Jackson Arnold, uh, you know, other quarterbacks that Oklahoma signed to the five-star variety, we see the trickle-down effect in a signing class. What type of gravitational pull does a David Stone have? And do you see that, generally speaking, with defensive signees? That's a great point. Uh, we do, but you've got to be a heck of a name. And I think the move to IMG has propelled David onto that that territory to where when he does make a decision, yeah, folks are going to keep an eye on it. I, I think of another one-time IMG guy, Walter Nolan, a couple cycles ago. He comes off the board, and all of a sudden, Texas A&M builds literally the number one recruiting class with a defensive-laden group. Um, it might not be that simple for, for David Stone, but – 
a, a guy like that who's such a name buying into a program that is still trying to work its way back up to where it was, I think would say a lot and help other folks, you know, kind of get over the hump defensively when it comes to OU. And you could argue, Josh, that it's more important on that side of the ball for Oklahoma to grab that galvanizing recruit. And there's no doubt that Stone would be that guy in 2024, not only for his physical prowess and, and whatever recruiting ranking he'll have next to his name, but the fact that he's a local kid. I think that brings a whole different energy to that. You know, you think of the group chats that these recruits get into, these commitment group chats, whatever. Uh, David Stone's kind of a clown. Like, he's kind of the class clown, fun, a very extroverted type of, of person having been around him. So, that alone, I think, will help you recruit at a higher clip, much like we always associate with the quarterback position. One more defensive line target we want to talk about, and that's Williams Nwaneri, excuse me, uh, from Lee's Summit up in Kansas City. Oklahoma pulled Caden Green out of there. They're also in on Isaiah Mose up there as well. What, what do you think is going to happen? Because he's another one of those guys that's just the gravitational pull defensive tackle. Everybody's going to be on his offer sheet. Where does Oklahoma stand maybe with him early in the cycle? Yeah, I think that's the key. It's early. Uh, there's there's less of an indication of where he's leaning this day and age. I think these, these off-season visits that he will inevitably continue to take will be huge. I think he was just at Tennessee. I think Oregon's got him coming up next. So he's going to be a well-traveled recruit before all is said and done. I think Oklahoma had him on campus last spring. So First step is always, hey, get them back on campus, right? Whether it's a junior day, using one of these spring official visits, whatever it may be, get them back to Norman and kind of go from there. But yeah, this will be, if if David Stone isn't among the most coveted D linemen, it'll be this kid. You know, this is this is going to be a very highly contested recruitment um, that, that involves everyone because now you're talking about a pass rusher. You're talking about an edge prospect who's already physically there from a height weight standpoint uh, that that's going to profile like an instant impact type of guy. So everybody and their mother is going to get involved in this recruitment. Uh, and there's no indication that it's going to be accelerated at, at least at this point, he's very much feeling schools out and taking trips, but he's, he's taking a lot of them. It's starting to add up to a, a large degree. So I think the next step would be to see if this list gets cut. Um, but again, he, it's going to be a big blue blood recruitment. And I, I think OU's got an opportunity to stick in this race for sure. We've mentioned some of these defensive coaches that are on the case. Uh, that stuff isn't just uh, just fodder. I mean, that stuff has some some staying power and some truth behind it. Uh, so if Oklahoma is prioritizing him, you expect the Sooners to to make this next cut. And then again, the next step is getting him back on campus to reinforce it. 2024 cycle, Oklahoma looking for commit number one. There's some scuttlebutt out there, John, that maybe that commitment not too far away. Michael Hawkins out of Frisco Emerson, quarterback uh, from down in Texas. What are you hearing about Michael Hawkins and if and when he might commit to Oklahoma? And then just a general sort of thought process on what type of prospect that Michael Hawkins is. Yeah, well, look, this one's this one's coming down the home stretch, right? I mean, he's he's got, I guess publicly he's got this top eight out there but we all know it's a little bit more narrow than that uh, a lot of folks are profiling this thing as an oklahoma arkansas battle and he's he's was at oklahoma last weekend going to arkansas this weekend and i think there's a lot of questions from the arkansas perspective um kendall bryles has been rumored to to be looking around a little bit does tcu fill that hole with him and you know, if he gets answers on those fronts, I think he'll be a little bit closer 
towards making decision. But look, clearly, if Arkansas is going to stay in the race and have a shot at the end of the month when he comes off the board, Kendall Browse has to be a part of it. Uh, so I think it could be that simple for Oklahoma. But beyond that, look, uh, we just talked about it. Legacy status, uh, name recognition. Obviously, everybody knows who, who his dad is. Um, you know, that this is going to be tough for anybody but Oklahoma. I think even more so than the David Stone recruitment, this is going to be tough because these quarterbacks are accelerated. Everybody knows it. Everyone sees it. These 24 dominoes are falling pretty quickly. I think like eight of the top 15 or 20 quarterbacks are already off the board and several like Michael are planning on coming off the board pretty soon. I think Walker White could be sort of that next guy who, by the way, is an Arkansas native. So if you want to sort of build the hypotheticals there, you know, I think there's a lot more push for Oklahoma to land uh, Michael Hawkins at, at this stage. And then in terms of his game, this is an intriguing modern dual threat quarterback. Uh, obviously was at Allen last year, put up huge numbers in a huge spotlight uh, type of environment. He, he's a guy who's got the frame and, and the game to to do it at the highest level. And, and when you think of Oklahoma, when it when it's humming, it's it's with that type of player as the trigger man in, in a modern sense. And with with Jeff Lebby there at the helm, uh, that's what they want. You want timing. You want to go fast. You want RPO decision makers. And that's what Hawkins does incredibly well already. Um, great runner with the football. I think that that's pretty easy to see. You don't have to be a, an elite evaluator to, to break that one down. And I think as a thrower, he's come a long way uh, in the last 12 months. He's polished up. Uh, his release is a little bit more concise. And again, I just really love the decision making that he brings to the table. Um, my favorite play from watching his his junior tape was an RPO, which isn't a huge surprise, but he pulls it out to throw it. And then he hits the whole shot thereafter. Most of those plays and the whole shot is that kind of um, the Tua Tengovailoa walk off shot to beat Georgia in the natty. It's basically you're, you're facing a high low coverage and, and you hit the receiver right there in the hole for the win in theory. Um, and, and he does that off of an RPO. So he's deciding whether or not it's going to be a runner pass. Does he give it to the running back based on what the edge is doing, pulls it out and still has the time and the arm talent to get the ball in the hole between the corner and the safety. So I think there's a lot to work with there from Mike as a quarterback recruit. Um, look, he's, he's going to have to improve on all those things, get a little bit bigger. I think that's probably the the chief area of concern for him as a, as a projection but with what Oklahoma's done and from a quarterback room development standpoint, he's going to have some time to figure all that stuff out if and when he picks Oklahoma. So I'd be pretty surprised if he ended up uh, anywhere else. Uh, although, again, from his perspective, it's technically a top eight with a bunch of schools still involved. And TCU is on there. So maybe if Browse makes that move, that's kind of the sneaky dark horse pick. But I think with with this decision coming down in the next couple of weeks, obviously Oklahoma is going to be. Uh, tough to beat if he pushes it back maybe it's game on for everybody else but if he doesn't I think he's the next uh, or first sooner commit in, in that 24 class and nothing's over till it's over until we get the early the early signing signature or the national signing day signature so there's no telling what could happen but it seems like Oklahoma isn't a great spot to land Michael Hawkins and John thank you so much for for being on the show today it's great to finally catch up with you and, and get your thoughts and insight on the recruiting trail y'all make sure you go check out john's work over at si.com on the recruiting just national recruiting stuff um excellent insight john so thank you so much for being on the show today thanks so much for having me really appreciate it uh like what you guys do keep at it
Yeah. All right. And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts and we're free and available on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button over there and that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. But until next time, he's John Garcia. I'm, or he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>